1: Paul was saying, my life was so bad that I had given over to death, but that was to make me rely not on myself, but on God who raises the dead. One of the purposes of pain is to make us understand we can't do this on our own. Verse 3, he's the God of all comfort. Verse 4, who comforts us that we might be able to comfort those so that we are comforted by God. Verse 5, abundantly in comfort. Verse 6, your comfort, we are comforted. Your comfort, verse 7, our comfort. What's the main theme of this passage? Comfort. In our affliction, in our pain, we have the promise of God's Comfort. Don't miss this. God promises comfort. It's a word which could mean encourager. It's a word that's in the Greek is the word paraclete. Perhaps you've heard of it in a scriptural study. It means one who comes alongside. It's the same word that is used of the Holy Spirit of God. It's what Jesus tells us in John 14. In John 14, Jesus puts it this way. You've probably heard this, most often at a funeral. Do not let your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. For in my Father's house are many mansions, and I go to prepare one for you. Jesus was speaking to his disciples about his impending death and his ascension to heaven and the promise that he would come back. But if you go on down in that passage, what you're going to find is that Jesus gives a promise. Listen to the word of God. Uh, how he describes what that promise is in scripture. In John 14 and verse 16, he says, I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. And even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be with you. Jesus says he will give you another helper. You know what that word is? Paraclete. Comforter. Encourager. So 10 times in 1 Corinthians or Second Corinthians chapter 1, Paul uses that same word. Comfort. A third of the times we find it in all of the New Testament is found in those few verses. Comfort. Why? Because God wants you to know that while pain is a reality on this side of heaven, comfort is also a promise that comes from God. God's greatest promise is his presence. He is with us. Remember, as we celebrate the birth of Christ, we celebrate he is Emmanuel. He is God with us. So as we reflect on the reality of pain, one of the things we should do in this moment is stop and ask, are we resting in the promise and the presence of God? I read something interesting this week. Did you know that if you put a buzzard in a pen that's six to eight feet In width. Even if the pen is open on the top. The buzzard cannot fly away. Because a buzzard needs 10 to 12 feet to get a running start. (laughs) To get into the air. Did you know that a bat. Can fly around in amazing ways through the night. I hope you never encounter one. But if you take a bat and just put the bat flat-footed on a flat surface. The bat can't fly away. It will kind of walk around jumping, trying to get up. Did you know if you take a bumblebee and put a bumblebee inside of a mason jar, if you leave the top off of that jar, the bumblebee will never fly away? we oh, will try to get out through the sides of the glass. It never looks up. And I feel like a lot of us are like the buzzards and the bats and the bees. We find ourselves in situations that we're not accustomed to. But instead of looking up to our comforter, and instead of holding on to the promise, instead of seeing what God has given us, we just settle into our situation. Enjoy the misery. Why is it important that we do otherwise? It's important that we do otherwise because our comforter gives dignity to our difficulties, he gives purpose to our pain. And that's where I want to spend the remainder of our time. Pain always has a purpose that helps us to endure. Don't miss here what I've just said. I'm not suggesting that you always know the why. In fact, I'm going to tell you otherwise. I think often we won't understand the why on this side of heaven. And truthfully, if I were to finish that thought, I would say on the other side, when we get to heaven, it probably doesn't matter. I'm not suggesting that we always understand the why. But I am telling you, there are some whys that are applicable in every situation and every circumstance of pain in our life. And God wants you to understand it. I heard about a mother who was down working in her kitchen and she heard a ruckus from her children upstairs. She ran up the stairs and she found her five-year-old son sobbing and just pointing to his two-year-old little sister. Mother said, what's wrong? And the son said, she pulled my hair. And the mom says, oh, honey, she doesn't understand. She doesn't understand that it hurts. And the little boy just kind of sucked it in. He said, okay. Mom hugged him and she went back downstairs to commence what she was doing. Only in a few minutes later to hear another ruckus upstairs. She goes upstairs, and at this point, she sees the little two-year-old girl sobbing and pointing to her five-year-old brother. The mother just looks at him and says, what happened? And he says, she understands now. (laughs) One of the purposes, one of the purposes of pain is that we might understand from God his comfort that we might be comforters to others. Said another way, C.S. Lewis in his very famous book called The Problem of Pain writes, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts to us in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. What does pain do? First pain points us to God. At the core of our faith is the necessity that we understand the fallacy of self sufficiency. Did you catch that? You can't pull yourself up by a bootstrap. Whoever came up with that saying anyway, I mean, just think about that for a second. I'm not sure anybody ever could. But you can't do that in life. You can't work yourself out of life's difficult moments. You can't just push your way through it and everything's going to be okay. At the core of our faith is the understanding that we are desperate creatures in need of our creator. Our only hope is the hand that he reaches down to give us. Our only help is the salvation that he offers. We are desperate. Paul makes that clear in verse 9. Look at what it says, 2 Corinthians 1 verse 9. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. This is one of the cases I don't prefer this particular translation of the scripture because I don't think you get the point. Let me help you understand what Paul's saying. There was a point in our life where we were ready to die. Some of you have felt that way. Some of you feel that way today. If we're Christian when we get to that point and we're trying to be healthy, we say something like this. I'm just longing for heaven. Because we know there's coming a time, there's coming a place where there'll be no more suffering, no more pain, no more tears. Paul was saying My life was so bad that I had given over to death. But that was to make me rely not on myself, but on God who raises the dead. One of the purposes of pain is to make us understand we can't do this on our own. If you've just joined us, You're listening to The
0: Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. Video of the message you're listening to is available when you click the Watch tab at MissionHillChurch.com. Thanks for sharing time with us and for sharing your financial gifts by clicking the Give button at MissionHillChurch.com. And now, with more of today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis.
1: I think one of the challenges in the church today is a foundational misunderstanding about what our salvation means. Somehow we've made this faith experience be about meeting in rooms like these. Following rules that we read. Giving in offering buckets and checking off attendant habits. The truth is, Our faith is solely built on the reality that we are helpless apart from the saving faith we have in Jesus Christ. We are utterly dependent upon him. And one of the reasons God allows pain to touch our life is so that we might see and sense that dependence in a real and a fresh way. Pain allows us to see who and what we're relying on. And by the way, if I could just chase this for a second, you can see that in how people respond to pain. Some people turn to alcohol and drugs, right? What are they doing? Often, you may not be able to verbalize this, but you're self-medicating. You're trying to mask the pain. Some people turn to illicit relationships. What are they doing? They're trying to cover the pain with something else. And and so when you face pain, it will let you discover what you're relying on. Are you relying on yourself? Are you relying on things outside of yourself? Or are you relying on the one who can help you in the midst of your pain? Second thing pain does is pain points us to others. Look at verse 4. He comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. With the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. What does that mean? God comforts us to be comforters. When we walk through pain, we are able to rely on God as we're pointed to him. We experience his comfort and then he equips us to come alongside and comfort others. Some of you have experienced that. You walk through something, you would do anything if you didn't have to walk through it again. But as a result of your having walked through it, you can now come alongside others and you can say with sincerity, I don't know exactly what you're going through. I think I know some of the pain. The Pacific Crest Trail is one of the most beautiful but demanding hikes in all the world. It's 2,650 miles from Mexico to Canada, runs through California, Oregon, and Washington, through desert, through beautiful, breathtaking ridges and beside glacial expanses. In 2018, Katrina Green, a lady from Germany, decided to hike the entire trail. She made it northbound over 2,000 miles all the way to Washington State. And for just a couple of hours on October 22nd, she met up with another hiker, Nancy Abel of Seattle. They spent those hours getting to know one another and sharing their stories. But as Nancy departed and began to go her way, she was burdened for Katrina. She was burdened about her health. She knew she didn't have snowshoes, and she wasn't prepared for the next leg of the journey, which would take her through Glacier Peak. She tried to dissuade her from continuing, but Katrina said, no way. She had been on this trip for five months. She was not turning back this close to the finish. But she soon regretted her decision. When the conditions turned deadly, she realized she was in great peril, She did not have everything she needed. Her clothes were soaked. Her shoes were wet and ruined, no match for the snow and ice. She became dehydrated and hungry. All she had left in her backpack was one Pop-Tart. One of her two tarps had blown away. She lost two pairs of gloves. Frostbite had set in. And now she was in a place near death with no phone service. She came to believe that this was the end. She started composing goodbye messages to her loved ones. But then she heard it. Through the biting wind, the chopping sound of a helicopter. A rescue helicopter. The Hawk One from Snohomish, flying low and sweeping under the heavy clouds, following her footsteps and spotting her red jacket. She was rescued. How did the rescue team know she was there? They were tipped off by the friends she had met along the journey, Nancy Abel. She was so concerned that she reached out. She decided to come alongside a fellow hiker and offer the help that she needed. One of the reasons that God allows us to walk through pain is so that we can come alongside those on the journey and help them understand they're not in this alone. And help them recognize that there is rescue, that there is comfort. But there's a third purpose, I believe. Pain... Positions us for praise. Paul begins and ends this discourse on pain in the same way. Look at how he begins in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus. You know what that word blessed means? It literally means to speak well of, it means to praise. Don't you find it interesting that Paul would begin talking about afflictions by praising God? I think that's interesting. He ends in the same way. Look at verse 9. He delivered us from such a deadly peril. He will deliver us. And on him we've set our hope that he will deliver us again. It's harder for us to see in the English, but in the original Greek, uh, this word delivered is translated in three different tenses. He has delivered us. Many of us can say that today. Through many dangers, snows, and tolls, and snares, we have already come. He has delivered us. But then, He is delivered. Delivering us. Some of you are going through difficulty right now, and you're just able to praise the Lord because you're saying, He's bringing me through. He's delivering me. He's not left me alone. I visit with my parents this week, had some highs and some lows. There was one moment there in my dad's room that my mom just about broke me. My mom is. Crippled, she can hardly walk. But she had found her way down to my dad's bedside and was leaning over his forehead, kissing on him. She was saying, with tears streaming down her eyes, I love you so much. I miss you so much. But it's okay, honey. We're going to be together again soon. And what she was saying. She's saying he is delivering us. He has delivered us. He is delivering us. But he will deliver us. See, our our scriptures really do teach that a time is coming when there's a place with no more suffering. No more pain. No more tears. We have the hope of heaven. And in the midst of our pain, we must hold on to that and praise his name. Last week, I had the distinct privilege to be on a phone call with Pastor Jim Simbel of the Brooklyn Tabernacle. And he was talking to a few of us and he said, there's a couple of words that our religious have felt burdened to begin to say on a regular basis in my life. He said, I never want them to become ritual or just to say them with emptiness but I really have felt led by the Holy Spirit to utter these words again and again. He said, one of the words is hallelujah. You know what the word hallelujah means? Say hallelujah. hallelujah. It just means praise the Lord. I mean, what if when we go through life's difficulties and challenges, those testing times and the troubles, what if no matter what comes your way, you could just look out and say, well, hallelujah. <laughs> and then he said, the other word is Jesus. He said, what if regardless of what's happening in your day, you can just use the name of Jesus to point you back to him? He said, I try to say it three times, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. So on Thursday, I was just with my dad in his room, and in that particular moment, i not sure if he knew who I was. I said, Dad, I'm leaving to, to um, go home for a few days. I want you to know I love you. But I want to remind you of something you already know. Um, there's one that's not leaving you, and he's here with you. And I've prayed with you, and remember, we've asked him to let you even see his angels in this room but his name is Jesus. And so dad, when you don't know anything else to say, you just say Jesus. I said, dad, do you understand that? He said, yes. I said, dad, say it. He said, Jesus. I said, say his name again. He said, Jesus. I said, Dad, say it one more time. He he said, Jesus. I want you to understand something. The heart of the gospel is the truth that Jesus endured your pain so that you might enjoy his presence. When he died on the cross, he endured your pain Nothing you face in this life, nothing you face in this life will compare to what he has already endured on your behalf. But because he endured your pain, you and I, we can enjoy his presence. So when you encounter the problem of pain, you hold on to this promise. Jesus... Jesus, Jesus is with you. Let your pain point you to Jesus. You've been listening
0: to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis, an outreach of Mission Hill Church. If you're looking for answers to difficult questions or searching for a church home, You're invited to any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. Details and directions at MissionHillChurch.com. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to MissionHillChurch.com and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves thank you for giving at MissionHillChurch.com. Weekdays at 9 a.m. Be encouraged by The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk, a.m. 570 and 910.